Welcome to the Behavior Speak podcast. Now, here's your host, Ben Ryman. Welcome to another episode of the Behavior Speak podcast. I'm your host, Ben Ryman. I've uh, got a special episode today. We're doing a, uh, doing a couple of these. Um, uh, with all that's going on, we're recording right now. It's, it's March 18th, 2022. And uh, and so f- folks will be familiar that there there is a, a, a terrible war going on in the Ukraine, uh, and, and and lots of you know um, uh, horrible things happening. It's a humanitarian crisis, and lots of people around the world are doing the best they can to sort of provide supports, whether it's through donations or supporting refugees or 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 any any other kind of way they can kind of help out. And uh, one thing I, I've I've learned quite quickly through um, through my network is, and quite obviously, is there's lots and lots of people with uh, families um, uh, uh, that have kids with special needs that are fleeing the country. Uh, some who you know maybe are even struggling to flee the country, and obviously you know uh, so, uh, the regular sorts of supports for special needs aren't aren't in place anymore. And, and folks are going to a bunch of different countries and not not even knowing where to start. And so I've been connecting with folks to see if we can start to try to share resources and provide some supports out there. So hopefully this will be the quickest released podcast episode I ever do. I want to try and get this out as soon as possible so we can help my next guest, um, you know, uh, get some more supports and uh, for the for the good work that she's doing. So I'd like to welcome. Behavior analyst, uh, currently based in the UK, but with a lot of experience in the Ukraine, and we'll hear about that sh- soon enough. Uh, I'd like to please welcome uh, Sophie Genovich. So, Sophie, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. Thanks for organizing this. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Sophie, maybe just quickly, um, or not too quickly, of course, but maybe if we could first just start with um, a little bit about kind of your background, kind of, you know, kind of how you got into the field of behavior anal- analysis, uh, uh, but more so kind of... Um, how it is that you have some experience uh, uh, um, supporting folks uh, in the Ukraine. Um, Okay, so I discovered behavioral analysis when I was living in the States. I did a a course, I was living in Minnesota, I did a course on behavior management and I really enjoyed that. So I asked my lecturer at the University of St. Thomas in in Minnesota what behavior behavior management was and she directed Mm. me to... um, what a BCBA is, because obviously mm. coming from England, I didn't know what a BCBA was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I registered on a course, did a course, and that's that was more or less the time. That was 2012 when I moved mm. to Ukraine. Um, and I was doing the course then. And at the time of living in Ukraine, um, I was involved in a project um, organized and funded by the US embassy in Kiev. Um, piloting interventions for children with special needs, specifically autism in schools in Ukraine, trying to understand how we can set up IEPs, how we can write goals, Mm. how we can assess, how we can teach within the Ukrainian school system, because it hadn't been going on um, until then. Uh, So I spent two years there. um, And then in 2014, came back to England, worked in a school in England, uh, mainly implementing positive behavior support in a school for children with special needs. And then um, last summer, so six months ago, June 2021, we had the opportunity of going back to Ukraine. And so we, you know, grabbed the opportunity because it was such a positive experience living out there. 
Um, so I then went back uh, to Ukraine uh, six months ago and was really, really pleasantly surprised by there has been so much change in the country in the last eight years, which is what makes this war so difficult. Um, mm. They had people... People had really, since 2014, 2014, there was a, a, a kind of popular uprising and a change in government in, mm. in Kiev and Ukraine. And following that, uh, the country just really started to take control. They were people, I think all of a sudden woke up to the fact that they were living in a free country, it was their country and they were in control. Mm. Um, and as a result, a lot of a lot of change that happened in a lot of different areas within mm. the field of special needs. The president's wife was very involved in uh, working with special needs and setting systems. So, for example, they've, they're in the process and are setting up networks of centers that are to diagnose and establish uh, levels of special needs required for each of the children. Mm. Um, so parents will bring their children, they get a diagnosis if they need it, and then they get told what level of support they will get within the education system. And that mm. didn't exist 10 years ago. And now that's been set up, for example. Wow. Um, and a lot of, and then within the field of applied behavior analysis, when I was there um, 10 years ago, there were people getting courses on behavior analysis that were organized uh, through BCBAs in the US and mm. in Israel. Mm. Um, and they, uh, so there, were, there was a knowledge of applied behavior analysis, but there, there wasn't a board, there weren't any BCBAs that were, that were um, officially registered at the BACB or certified by the BACB. Mm. Um, and so 10 years, you know, move forward 10 years and um, I arrive in, in Ukraine now and there's actually a board of, uh, Ukraine board of behavior analysis and an association of behavior analysis um, mm. that are really just bringing the, the science of ABA forward and making and formalizing it and um, establishing systems for it to uh, become established within, within the country really. So there's been a lot of really positive changes in the last 10 years and it was really um, nice to see how people were thinking about not just tomorrow but the future and that was a big change that yeah. I've seen in the last eight years. So how many how many BCBAs are are well are you know sort of pre-war were in the Ukraine? So um Registered with BACB, there are mm -hmm. three BCBAs, uh, Ukrainian BCBAs plus myself now. There's one BCABA and one RBT. So not a lot of people for, for, for not a lot of BCBAs for 44 million people. <laughs> but there are, there are also registered within the board and the association. There are about 50, um, professionals that have mm. done some kind of training formal training mm. in applied behavior analysis. Uh, there's eight that are considered to be at BCBA level, uh, mm. 27 at the associate level and 25 at the RBT type level. So there's about 50 of us registered. Mm. Um, and so that might include people who've been doing ABA for the last 10, 15 years. So sure. one of the members of the board, for example, she's got three centers within Ukraine. She's been doing it for the last 
10 years. She's fully trained. She works under the supervision of a BCBA in the States. And so mm. um, slowly, slowly, we're becoming um, established uh, as a profession. It's early days, but mm-hmm. uh, it's definitely going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So, of course, uh, as many will be familiar, you know, at the beginning of 2022, the, you know, the BACB had said they weren't going to be, you know, uh, granting certifications outside of, well, North America for the most part. And, and I think a few other countries had got a couple of extensions on that. But I, I uh, so what's, what's sort of happening now, now in the Ukraine with the BACB not being involved? Right. Yes, I, I remember that morning, <laughs> waking up to the the message from the uh, BACB, and at the time I was living in England, and I knew the UK would be okay because it, it they're much more the board is much more established. But my th- first thought was, what about ABA in a country like Ukraine? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think I, I don't know how other countries feel about it, but I think it actually it's a bit of a blessing in disguise because it means that we've now taken responsibility um, mm. and we're in the process of uh, developing a core sequence um, in Ukrainian that will be um, offered through a Ukrainian university mm. uh, to set standards to certify behavioral analysts in in Ukraine. So it's been, it, it was a bit of a wake-up call to again take responsibility and Uh, develop the science further and it's going to mean also that we're going to have to develop all the literature in Ukrainian Mm. and um, so that we can then teach in Ukrainian because there's Mm -hmm. I found two books in Ukrainian to do with behavior analysis one which is key which has been the ables has been uh, translated in ukrainian which has been a fantastic tool Hmm. um but there's apart from those apart from a couple of materials there's very very little available in the ukrainian language so this has kind of forced us to Hmm. translate materials to disseminate in ukrainian um Hmm. and because because for the last five years ukrainian has been the language of education um for the education uh the language of delivery of education because before that it was either russian or ukrainian now it's mm. officially ukrainian that's kind of forced mm. us to develop our mm. kind of aba identity within ukraine and to make it more accessible because i think mm. for a lot of people before having to rely on the states or rely on people overseas financially, it was very, it was much more expensive. Whereas now yes. if we become part of the system and we yes. join the university, we can look at getting grants or um, it becomes a lot more official and, and more accessible. Mm-hmm. That That's, that's a really interesting point. And, uh, and, you know, I think a lot of, you know, there's sort of been a lot of uh, sort of negativity around the BACP's decision to do that and sort of leaving, you know, potentially leaving countries sort of, you know, with, with, with no options, but, you know, the point that sort of, you know, pre when the BACB was still involved, well, number one, they would have to spend more money to, as you said, you know, to either go to the U S or take online courses in the U S but also they would have had to essentially learn English and then so that they could take those courses and understand what was going on. And so now you're looking at sort of 
you know, doing everything in Ukrainian. So, so, so on two levels, one, it'll be, you know, certainly I think a lot more economical to take stuff locally, but also not that there's anything wrong with learning a second language, but Ukrainians won't be forced to learn a second language in order to learn ABA. Mm, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, we, the, the science is so uh, centered towards English speakers that, mm -hmm. yeah, we definitely need to support people worldwide to be able to, to access the, uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's a I'm, huge job, obviously. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Mm. I wonder, and, and I don't want to go, too off on a tangent here because I want to talk about sort of the the important sort of current event issues. But I, I wonder, I haven't had too many conversations sort of around translation. And I wonder with ABA having so much, you know, technical jargon uh, in English, uh, is has it been difficult to translate, you know, things like, you know, motivating operations and antecedents and things? Um, so... Some of the advantages of doing it with the benefit of hindsight is that I think certain words, like for example, I was actually I was preparing a, a lecture on um, reinforcement and punishment actually just before this, and I realised mm. that the way we've translated the word for punishment is actually uh, much better in terms of we we've called it weakening a behavior rather than punishing a behavior mm. and so from that point so I, we've kind of learned to to not repeat those mistakes of using a, a term that has one meaning in in yes. everyday language and then we have a different meaning for it but yes it's it is it is a really really um it's a really difficult task and there, there are still, so we also have the experience of uh, the Russian translations because they've also gone through a lot of the thinking behind how to translate it. And the Ukrainian and the Russian languages are quite similar, have a lot of similar roots. And so again, we can use that to help us understand how best to do it. But I think because you, we have so much jargon, when we don't necessarily need it, we are definitely going to be talking to speech and language therapists, we're going to be talking to psychologists, we're going to be talking to other people in the field and other people who already have those some of those terms. And we're going to see how we can how we can use them in the same kind of way rather than use our own terminology. Right. Um, yeah, so that's definitely something that we've thought about and it is it, it is a, an incredibly complex task because we a lot of times we're just not inventing words but <laughs> yes kind of inventing new meanings to words mm -hmm. uh, because they haven't been used in that context it's it's yeah it's quite a big task hi everyone this is the first episode in a special series we're doing on how the war in Ukraine is affecting children with disabilities and their families. All proceeds from the CEU purchases for these episodes will be donated to www.kievresist.org, an NGO partnership that is bringing vital medicines and other basic necessities to Ukraine. To purchase CEUs, you'll need to enter the three secret words from the episode at www.cbiconsultants.com and click on the CBI store. The first secret word is Ukraine.
Yeah, absolutely. I, I, uh, certainly the difficulty of translation makes sense, but I, I really, you know, if, if, if I could go back in time and, and talk to, you know, BF Skinner and the lads, you know, I definitely would have given the advice of maybe a different word than punishment for, uh, for, for that yeah. procedure. Cause that would have made a huge difference. Mm. I, I, I heard, I went, I saw a video, um, one day by, uh, uh there's a, a fellow in the States, uh, Brett DeNovi, who, uh, who, uh, he, I think he owns, it sounds like he owns like the, the largest sort of chain of behavior, uh, uh, ABA clinics in, in the States. And, um, he did a video one day and he was talking about how sort of the, the, how unappetizing the word punishment was and, and suggested, you know, you could just call it a deceleration procedure, which reminds me of kind of what you were saying about weakening instead of punishing. Mm. So yeah, I definitely see how, um, the value, uh, the value in that. So what about, what about getting accreditation now? So I realize in the st- the BACB and the, and the sort of the BCBA uh, certification, I mean, I think it really has its most value in the U.S. because, you know, there's a lot of requirements in terms of insurance and licensure and, and those sorts of things that require that accreditation. Whereas I'm in Canada and depending on where you go, you know, there's not as much regulation. And so, you know, you don't really need a certification to, to sort of practice. I mean, some places you do, but, um, uh, in a lot of places you don't, uh, you can still, you know, do the work and, and so on and so forth. So is there, is there a need for, uh, you know, a, a certification, a credential in, in the Ukraine? Um, uh, and, and, and why? Um, so, Yes, another change that I've seen in the last 10 years is that ABA has become uh, much more mainstream in inverted commas in the sense that people now know what it is. And um, I have a colleague, for example, who I worked with, well, I'm still working with her now, but and I was working with her 10 years ago too. Uh, she has a center for children with autism in Kiev and she regularly gets asked for ABA services. And so mm-hmm. there's a big, there's a, big uh, shift in understanding that ABA is uh, a therapy that's going to benefit or an approach, sorry, that's going to benefit children with autism. Mm. And so what happens is a lot of people will say, yes, we do it. Um, And they offering ABA in inverted commas, they might Mm -hmm. have watched a video they might have done on a two hour course. Um, but it's not, they're not really qualified to say that they offer ABA. Mm. Um, and so there's a lot of that going on. And so once we have a system in place, and at the moment we already have that system in the sense that we ask everybody who's had any training or any practice of ABA to, to register with the board or the Association of Behavior mm. Analysts in Ukraine so that when we get asked uh, for therapists we direct them to that website because we control who signs on to the website and the the getting on to um the membership is actually really really tough and when i moved to ukraine last summer um the amount of certificates i had to send to prove i had to um send my uh, bacb certificate my master's certificate in in from the states i had to get it translated hmm. and approved by the the board of education of ukraine and so it it was a really rigorous system and so um i think it's really important uh, in a country where 
certificates get handed out very generously um, hmm. and very easily, mm. I think it's really important to have a way to to monitor what people are doing because mm-hmm. already, already there are people who say who say my child did ABA and it didn't work. And so then when you mm. inquire about what, where did they get the ABA, who was delivering yes. it, and you realize that that person who was delivering ABA, apart from maybe watching some YouTube videos, had never had any training in ABA. And and so that straight away gives a bad name to, to ABA. Of course. Um, yeah. And so it's I, I think it's really important at the beginning of a process to, to set a high standard and then we can work by that standard. I mean, I, I remember actually I was living in Ukraine 10 years ago when I started my ABA course and I remember seeing the code of ethics um, for the uh, for the BACB and being really relieved that I could use that as an excuse for being professional um, mm. in the sense that I, I, when you have that code of ethics, you can always refer back to it. And in a country where um, those codes might not always be very strongly followed, it's if you're part of a group that follows those codes, then that's your go-to when someone wants you to do something that might not be very ethical. You can say, well, actually, my code says I can't. And so that that's why I think it's really, really important because that code of ethics, and not just in Ukraine, in, in the UK also regularly, when I was asked to, you know, sometimes I would be expected to deliver training on something that I wasn't an expert in. I would just always go back to my code of ethics as that, you know, I'm not qualified to do this, so I won't do it. Um, and I think it just really helps when you're out in the field and there's not a lot of other people from your professional background. I think it that code of ethics is really just helps um, justify what you can and can't do. And so if you have it really ingrained in people as part of the course mm-hmm. uh, and as part of the qualification, the certification, I think that's it's just really important to have it standardized and to set some sort of a benchmark for this is what and how a, a behavior analyst should behave. Yes. I, that makes a lot of sense. So I understand there are, I mean, there may be more, but there, there are two kind of credentialing bodies that I know of that are providing certifications in ABA outside of outside of North America. Um, uh, one is called, I believe they're called the QABA and it's, I think the quality, the, 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 the qualified, qualified applied behavior analysis or qualified ABA certification. And then, uh, and that one's been around for a little while. Uh, and then there's a second one. And that, I think that one is purposely more kind of autism specific, but I think that can still work out for a lot of places. Um, and then the other one, which I believe started just after the announcement, and that's the uh, the IBAO, the International uh, Behavior Analyst Organization. Now, I, I know from talking to you that y- you folks had kind of decided to go with the IBAO. Uh, why, why did you choose the IBAO versus the QABA? Because I, I know the QABA has been around a lot longer. Now, maybe it's just not available in Ukraine, and maybe that's why. But what was the thought there? 
Um, yeah, I think by the time I arrived in Ukraine, we had, that we had already uh, had some connections with IBAO because the mm. uh, the the board had already trans was already in the process of translating the AFOLs, which I think is also Mike Mike Muller, who's um, of the IBAO, yes. and so I think that's why we had that connection already, and it made sense. And we did, uh, I think, on twenty third of. February, the day before the war, we actually signed a memorandum of understanding that we were going to translate all the materials into Ukrainian and uh, prepare our credentialing system to match with the IBAO. And it's just really nice to have a an organization that's really, really flexible and really kind of meets you where you are, because a lot of the organizations that we looked at for accreditation, they were so, so high up in terms of amount of people uh, who had to be certified at PhD level with X amount of experience. And it was it was so far from mm. what we could deliver in mm. in Ukraine so far I mean so big compared to what we're doing in Ukraine but you know we'll be there in 10 years but we're not there now but we needed yeah. somewhere to start and that's yeah we found the uh the IBAO were have been really really good at supporting that process right on right on I've been involved with the IBAO a little bit myself um uh, kind of did did some work developing some of their early early kind of processes um, and and through that we have a, a sort of a, a a discussion board an online kind of social networking board that we use to sort of connect with each other and that's that's how I found you uh, uh, so uh, uh, a week or a week or so ago I saw a, a post on our messaging board that had your name and it was from Mike Mueller and he was basically saying that, you know, um, we want to do everything we can to support, you know, the, the folks that we're working with. And, um, and, 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 and your name came up with, with, with something you were working on, um, to sort of related to the war. It, it, it's crazy that on the day before the war, you're finalizing details to start a credentialing system. And the next day, sort of everything changes for you, mm. obviously, um, uh, in, in, in kind of so many ways. So we all know on February 24th, the, the, the war began. Um, and, and sort of what, what effect has that had on kind of the work you're doing in Ukraine uh, now? Like, w what is it you're trying to do now? Like, what, what's happening now? Obviously, we're not, we're not working so much on credentialing and setting up ABA centers. The second secret word is resources. Yeah, so um, we had the first few days, my colleague, I have two colleagues who from the, the board of behavior analysts in Ukraine. Uh, they're still in Kiev at the moment. Hmm. Um, and the first few days, um, they were continuously on the phone to parents who were having to going to bomb shelters, um, children mm. with autism who weren't coping with the sirens, the unpredictability. Mm. Um, it's it's an incredibly stressful situation 
obviously for everybody involved but then there were so many children who were refusing to go into the shelters Mm. um who uh were just so disorientated and so um affected by the situation um so my colleagues in ukraine were spending we spent the first four or five days just supporting on the phone continuously supporting uh people uh, their clients who had children with special needs um and in fact one of one of the members of the board has a child with special need to a 13 year old uh, boy. So she had her own um, issues to deal with too. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but, but yeah, so that's how, that's how it started. And then they've been very active, uh, particularly the, the one with the child special needs have been very active on uh, Facebook and all the social networks Um supporting families with uh, children with special needs, all types of special needs. Um, she was co- she's been coordinating uh, evacuations out of Kiev, for example, um, just being very, very active. There's finding medicine for children who needed medicines, just networking, supporting and how she could with the, all the children and all the um, individuals with physical and um, other special needs uh, to help with evacuations and medicine, food, everything really that people needed. Hmm. Wow. So, and, and, and your colleagues, you say they're still there now. Are they safe? Do you know? Did you hear from them? Or? Yes, yes, I was talking to, well, it's funny because you said with all the credentialings got got forgotten. Well, actually, I had a call with uh, one of my colleagues about a week ago, and she was saying, well, my three centers are closed, so we might as well get on with <laughs> with writing the course sequence. So um, I think sometimes people need that to focus on something mm-hmm. that's totally unrelated. And so much easier to think about than what's going on outside. So everybody that a lot of people I've spoken to have, you know, said that they wanted to work. But uh, yeah, so they're still there. I was wow. talking to the I was talking to my uh, other colleague, the one with the child with special needs um, today, this morning. And it really brought home how much harder it's going to be. And that's why I'm trying to gather support in various countries, because um for example, she has a child with special needs, and now that we've opened the system for immigrants to come or refugees to come to England, mm-hmm. um, she's saying to me, how am I going to get my child into a special needs school? What's the system? How am I going to get mm. him ABA services? And I'm like, mm. oh, well, you can forget about ABA services. <laughs> and there's, I mean, in England, we tend to do home, home services. It tends to be privately funded. She's saying, how am I going to get my money to, to, to feed myself, feed my family? How am I going to get the money to mm. get ABA services for my child until mm-hmm. the schools are able to take him in? Uh, my experience of special needs schools in England is that it takes about six months to do the, the process of applying for a, an, an IP. In England, it's an EHCP, an, an education health care plan. Uh, these processes take a lot of time and I have no concept of how um, it, it works for um, when you arrive with a child with special need in, in an emergency situation. So I've taken it on myself to find out all this information mm. so that I can be pre- so that we can be prepared uh, and I can give that information. And I've got some co- because I've got some contacts here, I can get that information and I've already started that process. 
but yes, traveling with doing this with a child with special needs is obviously different. I've I've seen uh, on news reports that there are children who have started school in Poland, children who have started school in France, in Italy, and they've literally they've arrived in the in the town and gone to the local school. But that's hmm. I don't think that's going to be an option if you have a child with special needs in every country. I mean, I'm sure mm-hmm. there are some countries that, where that can happen straight away. And I'm sure there's some countries where there are ABA services to keep the child um, occupied (laughs) in a constructive Mm -hmm. way before school places become available. But when people are asking me these questions about different countries in the world, I can't answer that. I can only uh, try and find out and and clarify for England because I know this because I've worked in schools in England. I know Mm -hmm. the system a lot better. Um, so yes, I mean, I was talking to one of my colleagues this morning, and she was asking me about, you know, if I arrive, what job can I do? Who's going to look after my son? Do I need a car to take him to school? You know, all these questions that, 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 that there are so many more questions if you have a child with special needs uh, mm-hmm. compared to coming on your own or with a with a typically developing child. So I know, yeah, wow, and 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 uh, and in fact, I, I'd heard. The reason I asked is how they're doing. As I, I had heard um, again through social networking and whatever, and maybe this is even one of your the colleagues you're talking about. But there was one behavior analyst in the Ukraine um, that had posted about an, I think, maybe another behavior analyst who is, who at the time was currently in a bomb shelter, and. And they hadn't heard from her for a week or so, and uh, just because of the inability to communicate. And so, um, um, it's it, it, it's pretty scary stuff when uh, when uh, you know when when that's going on. Yeah. So that so our so our head of the Ukrainian Association of Behavioral Anal- Analysis is in Mariupol, which is that city that's being bombed time and time and time and time again and yes. yeah i have i haven't heard from her in a long time either and the the way i've been doing it because i don't want to bombard people too much with mm-hmm. with emails what what i do is i go on to our um so so the i don't know what the um social messaging app is in, is in canada we use whatsapp in england um, mm-hmm. And uh, but in in Ukraine they have Viber and they have Telegram channels and so you you can see if they've been into their um, mm. social network uh, app and so that's what I do with all all the people I know out there I go into their their account and check that they've been in every day and then I know that they're okay mm-hmm. uh, but I haven't seen. Uh, I haven't seen that colleague on social network in, in a yes. long, long time. So yes, we, we yeah, it's, it's I believe that's real. the one. Yeah, because Mary Paul, that was the that was the word I remember now, and that she's the one yeah. that was in the bomb shelter. And mm. uh, yeah, there seemed to be a, a lot of a lot of folks trying to trying to find out if she was okay. Um, mm. um, so that's that's yeah, really 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 scary. It's very real, very real. Yeah. So mm. this project that you're working on that I. Uh, uh, I had seen uh, on 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 the IBAO uh, sort of chat board there, um, kind of a, a spreadsheet that you were sharing, and it sounds like you know what you're doing is essentially, as you say, you're 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 doing all this work in in England because you're familiar with the system and you're able to re- sort of research resources and whatnot and and put all those together and and sort of connect with families and whatnot. 
Well, first off, are, are you hearing from a lot of families uh, that are coming in now or, or what's going on there? Families with who have children with special needs or yes, 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 yes. So, um, yes, I, I had a, a telephone call with someone obviously this week sometime. <laughs> That's gonna be as precise as it gets. And <laughs> she she's headed a big campaign in Ukraine for this is a pre war over the last few years for autism awareness. Mm. Um, and so she obviously has a lot of contacts children with uh of parents with children with special needs mm-hmm. and she was in contact with 10 different families who were looking for um hoping to come to england and so then mm. we have that kind of added layer of finding homes mm. yeah so so there are a, a lot of people looking for homes um and places to to be until they can go back to their ukrainian homes um so yeah there's there's a big there's a big network of um, parents. So what's that like? I mean, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, uh, uh, we saw a little bit of this uh, certainly around the world, and certainly even even you know in sort of my hometown here um, uh, when when a lot of the kind of the Syrian refugees were coming over, and uh, uh, and you know people were setting up homes and funding and all all that sort of thing. And that's you know you know obviously it takes you know a, a good heart and a willingness to open your home. Uh, but it's a whole different game when you're bringing in children with special needs. Um, is is it is it hard to sort of find homes, find people that want to take in children with special needs? Because there's it's a whole other demand there. The third secret word is refugee. Uh, so I noticed actually because I went on the website. There's a there's a charity in England that was established to um, connect families with um, families in England with families in Ukraine um, and hosting families in England. And I noticed that they don't they don't ask and you don't specify. So um hmm. they didn't they didn't ask to specify because there's a purely you know not even in discriminative way there's a there might be issues with steps there might be issues you know with with other things uh whether the house is suitable or not if hmm. if the, but they tend to say you know that they have animals in case the child doesn't like animals but i haven't hmm. i haven't come across issues with difficulties in finding homes and mm. i was actually contacted by a colleague of mine in uh, a, a parent um who i worked with when i was living in england um and she's very active in the uh, autism community in england and she's a parent mm. and she straight away contacted me saying i've got somewhere if you know someone with a child i want to make sure it's a parent who mm. comes with a child with autism if you know anybody let them know so i think that's what's going to happen is there's going to be people who i notice also there's a lot of uh, teachers who are signing up to host i noticed because i was looking for someone today actually and i noticed for example that there was a home with uh, a retired teacher um for children with special needs and so i thought okay well that would be a good match perfect um yeah. and so people people write who they are what their background is and then you can find a match that's most likely to work mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. but yes it is it's really it's a it's a very difficult um question to raise yeah yeah no and that's great that 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 sort of 
uh, you know, that some of these local associations are also reaching out and saying, and probably realizing this, that, you know, not everyone is going to want, you know, a, uh, you know, it's one thing to just to bring in a family that doesn't speak your language, but it's a whole other thing to bring in a family with a, you know, with with you know, uh, so many more kind of special needs that you just weren't prepared for. Um, um, and so, you know, these families that already have you know kids with autism or whatnot, you know, would certainly be more welcoming and be more apt to sort of, you know, provide a better environment. Yeah. I was thinking of, you know, yeah, any any teachers, um, anybody who's worked with children with special needs and maybe CBAs if they have a home, <laughs> that would be brilliant. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So it's great that you've got that connection, certainly with um, the, the person in Ukraine who kind of has led that autism awareness piece. I, I don't imagine everybody is looking to go to England um, um, no. or or able to go to England. And, and, and so it sounds like, you know, there's uh, countries all over the world that are, are, are taking in refugees right now. And, and kind of this brings us to sort of how I found you and, 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 and this, this, this sort of spreadsheet that you had shared um, with, with Michael on, on, on the IBAO with the IBAO network. Um, what, what is it you're looking to do there? You're looking to try to sort of help, help uh, expand this to sort of other countries. So we, we, so the, it's a fast changing situation. Um, mm -hmm. And when we set up the spreadsheet, uh, probably a couple of weeks ago, there yeah. was very little information that was available. Now there's uh, a lot more available around accommodation, shelter and those kind of things. But still, I still haven't seen anything uh, that addresses information for individuals with special needs. So, for example, I got a phone call from a mother who had literally bought a single ticket to, to Ireland because Ireland, they don't need any visas. Um, mm. And she found someone there through Facebook uh, who said, OK, you know, come to Dublin, I'll look after you. And so this mother has a child with autism. So she contacted me and she just said, I have no idea when I arrive in Ireland what I'm going to do with my child. And so mm. I know an OT who's from Ireland. So I contacted her. But, you know, this isn't the most efficient uh, system. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, that's why I'm trying to uh, connect with people who can provide information in each of the potential countries where refugees might go so that uh, we can collate that information, potentially put it in a website there's, or a page. There's loads of different um, websites that have been set up for housing and accommodation. And we want to create um, an, a hub of information where people, for example, are thinking, OK, I'm going to go to uh, Slovakia. Let's see where I can live, where I can put my child at school, what's what's the system, but some really, really basic higher level information. So um, in England, for example, basic information like you have to contact your local education authority, you will need to ask for a, a, an EHCP, an education healthcare plan. Um, you know, the, the types of school systems that we have in England are you can either be in the classroom, you can have either have an ABA support that's self-funded in the classroom, you can have a special needs school, you know, basic information about each of the different countries and how services work in that country. Because I think we often assume 
that everywhere is going to be the same, but it's it's drastically different in every country in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so understanding the system, I remember when I first arrived in England, because I studied first in the States, then in Ukraine, mm-hmm. um, and worked in education systems in both places. And then I arrived in England, and it was all totally different. And I remember it took me about six months to understand how things were working and I didn't have to put a child in in a special needs school actually putting my two children into a a mainstream school was actually quite difficult in England because it's quite a complicated system and Mm -hmm. so all that kind of support having a basic information page that even if they can take that to a host uh, family so that the host family will know where to start and where to direct them um, you know, some references of websites, some very basic information. And so if we could have that for every country, mm-hmm. um, that would be fantastic. Um, and then we could, we would either have that available on website or we, we would redirect people. Um, but one, one contact per, per country who's understands the system, because yes. it's very difficult to understand the system when you're not in it. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So according to my you know, crude sort of statistics that I'm able to get for the, the podcast. Um, I discovered that, um, uh, and I'm still sort of trying to understand how it all works, but uh, it, it, it appears that I have listeners in up up to 70 countries. Um, and so if, if you could sort of, you know, uh, puts a, if you could sort of speak to those listeners, what, what kind of help are, are, are you specifically looking for? Like a, what, what, what can they do? How can they get a hold of you? You know, what, 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 what supports are you looking for? So we could, cause my goal is to get this episode out re- relatively quickly so we can start getting, you know, more resources uh, spread around. So, um, Basic information, one contact person per country would be great, but I understand that might be hard to coordinate. Um, basic information and i can we can add a list to to the podcast of mm-hmm. um what is the school system and never never assume that it's logical and easy to understand because every country has such a different education system um so my the parent i was talking to today for example she was saying how is my child going to get aba services and so we don't in England, for example, it tends to be we have very few centers. It, they tend to be home services. So mm-hmm. making people aware of what services, where where ABA services are available, whether they're funded or self-funded, um, what the school systems are like, what types of schools there are um, and uh, where the first point of contact is for a child with special needs. Um, in the UK, for example, there's a National Autism Society. So mm-hmm. giving the details of that National Autism Society. So what are the, the main contact points for you've just arrived in a new country or you're planning to go to a country? Um, what do I need to know and understand to be able to get my child into a school mm. or into services? Um, and again, I can't really give many examples because I only know the the English system um, and in the US there are huge um, you know day treatment centers and sometimes even just knowing the vocabulary of what to google 
So, mm-hmm. for example, when I worked in the US, I worked at the day treatment center. And then I moved to the UK and I wanted to do the same kind of work. And so I'm Googling day treatment centers where well, we don't have them in the UK. We certainly didn't mm. 10 years ago. And so I didn't even know what I didn't even know the Google search to find something that I was looking for. So, mm-hmm. you know, the terminology, what do I Google? What do I, mm. you know, how do I find out? Things like um, the fact that in England, it's not an EHCP, it's it's called an EHCP, not an IP, you know, all the, right. that very, very basic terminology so that they can at least, they can at least Google it um, mm-hmm. and find that basic information, what the key terminology is and what the key systems are and what the key contact points are for each of the countries. Mm. And if mm. there, obviously if there's any charities that are specifically supporting the refugees coming with special needs, and obviously that's the first point of contact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So would, would the idea be, like I said, we'll put the, that information in the show notes for folks. Would the mm. idea be that, that if, if say there was someone in, you know, um, I don't know, I'm just a random country here. There was someone in, 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 in Greece that wanted to help out, um, would they reach out to you? Uh, yes. If, if they reach out to me, then I can coordinate and, you know, name, have them the named, um, mm. the named person for that country. And then we Perfect. avoid duplication. Perfect. Perfect. That's great. So we'll, we'll definitely get on that right away. Uh, the, the one other thing I just wanted to, to quickly chat about is I, so, you know, I, you know, I want to. I want to be able to. We we offer continuing education credits for all of our episodes, and you know, it's a it's a it'll be a, it's a small amount, I imagine. But I'd like to be able to, for this episode at least, uh, you know, donate um, all of the the revenue from the continuing education credits to you know some some charity that's um, you know uh, providing you know, some support here. Um, uh, when we, when we talked last, uh, you had mentioned that you're working with a, a, a sort of an NGO nonprofit that's uh, been doing some, some, some good work over there. Do you want to tell, tell us a little bit about them? Yes. Yeah, so um, coincidentally, it's a Canadian company. That's why it's, it's a, it's an interesting kind of coincidence, but yes, um, it's an organization called Alinea. Um, they're a Canadian organization funded by the Canadian government um, and they've been working in Ukraine for the last 10 years on government reform. So um, in lots of different areas. So they've been working with the, the prison and the justice system. They've been working mm. with the police. They've been working in education, social services. Um, I was working with them and they've been so they work very closely with with government bodies over the last 10 years because a lot of reform has happened in uh, policies uh, nationwide in in Ukraine over the last ten years, and so there's all these great ideas, but knowing how to implement them um, is is a different issue, and that's where Alinea has been supporting the government in Ukraine. Um, and so, for example, the the project I was working on pre twenty uh, fourth of February was um, they're working with social services developing centers for children with special needs to attend during the day so they would either actually actually very system very similar to the uh, day treatment center process where i worked in 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 america um Mm. where children will either come at the end of the school day 
to learn more functional skills or they might come for a bigger part of the day depending on their needs and what uh, is available for them at the local school. Um, they attend this centre and so they needed uh, support and international expertise on how to assess children with uh, social, emotional and behavioural issues and autism. And so they were looking at the process of how to assess them, how to develop the plans, how to write the plans, how to, on a national basis, develop an assessment that will be used in every single one of those centres and develop a training package for for all the specialists who are working in that center. Mm. And so that's what we were working on. That's just one tiny project out of a lot of huge um, nationwide projects that they're working on. Mm. Um, and then on the 24th of uh, February, things changed drastically. And their, re their, yeah, their remit also changed drastically. And they're really, really well placed because they, they, have people working for them all over the country. They in they know all the government networks within the country, and so they've been able to respond really, really, really quickly to yeah. the the war and the war effort and and the the help that's been needed in the country. And so um, every single penny that they receive goes directly towards buying something. If you give them $5, they will buy $5 of paracetamol. It's kind of, it's because um, our wages are, uh, and, and staffing and offices and all those kind of infrastructures are funded already. Mm. Um, everything that's being raised for the humanitarian effort now is going directly towards buying uh, goods and services and they're you know they're launching various campaigns within the the country they're doing things like uh, looking after prisoners I hadn't mm. even thought about the prisoners yes. in prisons in countries in, in areas where they're being bombed they don't have any food um, they're being held in prisons and and it's yeah it's quite um it's a big job uh, mm -hmm. understanding how we can support them. Um, they've also been, so another thing that they're doing at the moment is um, they're looking at uh, regulations and rules and regulations over prisoner of wars because we haven't had prisoners of war for uh, right. 80, yes, of 80 years in Europe. And so that needs to be revised, implemented, make sure that they're treated adequately and appropriately. Um, and then they're doing a lot of humanitarian aid, but humanitarian aid at a really uh, local, local level. So, for example, very early on, there was one of the employees was uh, a lot of people when the war broke out, moved out of Kiev to smaller places where they might have known family in the country. And uh, one employee was met with a regional um, hospital and they didn't have enough uh, of a certain type of medicine because all the supply chains have been broken for medicine um, and they were running out of a certain medicine. So she, so the hospital put through an application, they got the medicine delivered um, and all that was just literally done on a very, very quick basis and a very local basis. And the, the other thing, for example, that Alinea are doing is there. So for medicines that need to come from overseas, they're, they're, shipping them in for medicines where there's the infrastructure in 
Ukraine to do it. So, for example, insulin is in high demand at the moment because the supply chain, again, has been affected. They're working with manufacturers of insulin in Ukraine, supplying them with the raw material so that they can then manufacture so that they're we're, we're putting money back in, in Ukraine directly whenever that's possible. So they're really, they're a fantastic organization. And like I said in our last call, it's the kind of thing you never hear about, the work that mm-hmm. they're doing. They just, they just, they've just done it basically. And they've set up this huge network of transport. So again, I've been giving their details to a lot of um, through a lot of social networks in Europe who have got a truckload of humanitarian aid. Um, and they're saying, I can get it to the Polish-Ukrainian border, but I don't know how to get it into Ukraine. Well, that's what they've done. They've got a, they've got a nationwide throughout Ukraine network of warehouses, trucks. Um, so you just get your goods to the border. They distribute them throughout Ukraine. And yeah, it's very, very palpable um, results and very real uh, delivery of services really where where they're needed. So, yeah, it's an amazing organization. <laughs> and so my my remit now is to is to look at supporting families post trauma and education for for online education for children with special needs. So yes, we've all adapted to what we're doing um, mm-hmm. just to help the war effort really. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, great. So I think that this is there's definitely so for folks out there that are looking for ways to help, there's there's certainly two sort of immediate ways folks can help. One, they can get a hold of you if if they want to sort of help coordinate in in sort of their country for refugees. You know that that's certainly a big commitment for some. But if others that are maybe unable to sort of provide that support, then a, an easy way to kind of help out would be just to either, you know, obviously you can buy a CEU, but probably even more directly, so just uh, give a donation to Alinea and we'll, we'll put all that information on the show notes as well and sort of how folks can can access that. And uh, yeah, we'll try to try to get the word out as quick as we can and get some more supports in place. And so hopefully, you know, one day we can get back to talking about, um, you know, uh, rebuilding, um, you know, uh, uh, the credential and the certification in the Ukraine when hopefully this, uh, this ends sooner than later. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Sophie, for coming on the podcast. I think, you know, I think we can edit here. I think this is a good place to stop and, and, and I can work on, um, uh, getting this thing published as quick as we can and, and start getting, uh, you know, uh, getting some emails sent your way. Great. Thanks. It's um, awesome. It's good to get the voice out. Cheers. Thanks everybody for listening to this episode with Sophie. We've got a link to a Google form in the show notes that you can fill out to answer any questions that Sophie might have to, to help out her cause. And don't forget to uh, buy some CEUs and all the proceeds from those CEUs will go to keyofresist.org. Uh, and of course, if you'd like to donate more, just go check out keyofresist.org and, and make your own donation. Thanks again for listening.